Good morning. He is risen. We are here to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, as we come before you, we celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. Father, how you sent your son to come to die for our sins. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, may we be encouraged and comforted in you. Lord, for any here this morning or watching online who may have not come to that place in their life where they've put their faith in Jesus Christ, may today be the day that they make that choice, change an eternal destiny. Lord, for each one of us, Lord, I know many going through difficult times help us to recognize the hope that's in Jesus Christ for our eternity and also for our each and every day. Lord, help us as we focus on your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A photo album. How many of you have photo albums at your house? All right, go ahead. You can raise your hands. There you go. Just trying to make sure. There you go. Some of you do. I have a feeling more than raised your hand. So, So we have a bunch of them at our house. Now, this is my son's photo album. Thank you. All right, that was a joke. First service just said, really? That's different. No, this is one of our daughter's photo albums. And uh, so a photo album is very interesting. And I don't know if your family's like our family. Fortunately, my wife was there. So if I was in charge, it would have been sad. But, but for the first child, I mean every moment seemed to be either on video or in a picture. Now, I'm dating myself here a little bit. We had the VHS. We had the big old camera, right? And so we had the VHS and going around. I mean, you know, how many times we thought this was going to be our first step. And and then I think we missed it and had to reenact it. But anyway, you know, we we had more than one VCR cassette tape filled with moments. Our second child, quite a few. Our third child, a few pictures thrown together. And our fourth child, we know she grew up. We just uh, don't have any record of it. (laughs) But a photo album, it, it marks events, right? Events in our lives. But more than events, it... It marks relationships because in each of those photo albums of our children and of our family, it it shows pictures of, of us together, but also of friends and relatives who have impacted the lives and the relationships that we have been able to have. And in Colossians chapter 2, as we continue looking at this letter from this Apostle Paul to a, to a group of, follow, of Christ followers there in a town called Colossae, he, he paints some pictures of a reminder of this relationship with God. Now, if you remember from last week, we, we looked how we are complete in Christ. And now in verses 11 through 15 of Colossians chapter 2, we see that Paul paints these pictures of, of what that relationship looks like. 
Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says this, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He is made alive together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let's look at some of these pictures that Paul shares about the benefits and the amazing relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. We see that we are identified with Christ. Those two pictures that he shares in verses 11 and 12 of circumcision and baptism are symbols of this identification. Let's look back at verses 9 and 10 as well as verse 11 and 12. And, and as, we, as I read these, as you follow along, look at the times that he mentions in Him or with Him. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were all circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, which you were also raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. In Him and with Him. These people that Paul was writing to were facing this false teaching that we've been talking about. This teaching that Jesus was not enough. But Paul reminds them and us that Christ is all we need. We are complete in Christ and nothing else. And that sentence has two very important aspects. We see, first of all, that in Christ... We are complete. We need nothing else. In Him, He covers it all. But also, nothing else. There is nothing else that can complete us. We watch, and maybe you've been one that's been trying to, to find contentment in anything else other than Christ. You've tried all kinds of things, but nothing brings contentment. We have contentment in Christ alone. We are complete in Christ. Nothing else. Circumcision for the Israelites was a sign of identification with God and with His covenant with them. They, they had their, their laws that, that the boys were circumcised at the eighth day, this sign of a covenant that God had made with them. Also, the identification of baptism. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. We're identifying ourselves as followers of Christ. This morning we celebrated baptisms. And those people that were saying, yes, I've identified with Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of His. And this outward sign, a testimony to each one of us that their determination to, to follow Christ, that they've identified with Him. And 
It's hard to be baptized. It can be a little bit of unnerving or maybe even embarrassing to, to stand up in front of people and do that. But you think about some of those people that Paul was writing to there in the church at Colossae. They were facing intense persecution. And, and when they made that public declaration that they were a follower of Jesus Christ, oftentimes they would be disowned by their families. They would also become targets of persecution, but they still desired to step out in that identification with their Savior. Baptism points to what we celebrate today, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see numbers are very important in the Bible. Oftentimes, numbers have great significance throughout the Bible. Two of the numbers that, that we see quite often in Scripture are the numbers 40 and 3. And oftentimes, these two numbers are set with, with events that take place. Time frames for events that occur in Scripture. We see a lot of 40-day stories 40-day stories, the emphasis most often is to teach us to wait and to be patient. Some examples of 40-day stories in Scripture are the story of Noah. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, Noah and his family were in the ark for about a year, but the rain itself lasted 40 days and 40 nights. The importance of waiting for Noah and his family. Mount Sinai, the Israelites waited as Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. Now, they didn't do so well at the waiting and patience because while Moses was up there, they decided, decided to build a golden calf that they would worship instead of God. They failed the test. Elijah hid from Jezebel for 40 days. Jesus, as He began His ministry, spent 40 days praying and fasting before He was tempted by Satan. After the resurrection, there was a 40-day waiting period before Christ ascended up to heaven and then eventually the coming of the Holy Spirit. There are more 40-day stories, but the idea of waiting and patience. But there are also a lot of three-day stories in Scripture. Three-day stories demonstrate crisis and need. Some examples, if you remember in the Old Testament, Joseph from the book of Genesis as he was in prison and he, and he interpreted the dreams of the baker and the butler, two of Pharaoh's workers who were put in prison. And there was a three-day time period. Joseph said that God's interpretation of the dream that in three days the butler would be restored to his position and in three days the baker would be executed. Three long days for each of them to wait to see the interpretation. The baker's interpretation not quite as good as the butler's. As the nation of Israel, they wandered for 40 years, another 40, 40 years rather than 40 days through the wilderness. They got to the edge of the promised land. And as they were waiting to cross the Jordan, there was a three-day period where they waited wondering what was going to take place next. Crisis and need. Esther. 
As they were there and under the authority of the Medes and the Persians and the law went out that the Israelites were going to be wiped out. So for Ezra, or Esther excuse me, and the people there, they fasted and prayed for three days before Esther went before the king to plead their case. Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish. The crucifixion and the resurrection, a three-day story. Jesus' followers were desperate. They felt no hope. The one in whom they had placed their faith, the one that they had given their lives to follow, was now dead. It had not gone how they had planned. And now they even feared for their own lives. Can you picture those three days? Friday, chaos amidst the charges, the trials, and the crucifixion. Saturday, silence as the tomb was sealed and guarded. But Sunday was coming. I love how John Ortberg describes this concept in his book, Faith and Doubt. Our struggles we can have. He puts it this way. He says, I put my faith in a third-day God, but I live in a second-day world. Sometimes we can feel that same thing. It feels like the silence. There is no hope. Or the chaos of Friday. Silence of Saturday. We can feel that same desperation. We may face hardship or adversity. We fight discouragement and hopelessness. But we can trust in a faithful God. Hope can be described as faith waiting for tomorrow. And we have hope. We can put our hope in that third day God. In verses 13 and 14, we find another picture reminding us that we are forgiven by Christ. Verses 13 and 14 says this, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Verse 13 begins with what we see is no hope. We're dead in our sin. The only hope for a dead person is a resurrection. I heard a, a comedian once ask the question. They said, what do you want said at your funeral? I thought his response was pretty funny, and that's probably good since he was a comedian. He said, here's what I want people to say at my funeral. Look, he's moving. Yeah. Now, we don't have to worry about death. Because if we've followed Jesus Christ, if we've trusted Him as our Savior, death on this earth means life for eternity with God. And truly, we can say, not our physical body, but at our funeral, if, we're a trust, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we're moving because we've been taken to heaven with Christ. We have hope. Verse 14 shares two pictures to help us understand the forgiveness that's available in Christ. We see that Jesus wiped out the debt. The old hymn reminds us Jesus paid it all. 
When a debt was paid off, they would tack up a paid-in-full notice in a public place. And so they would have those tacked up that paid-in-full so that the world could know. Jesus erased the debt. Now the original readers there in Colossae understood what, what Paul was picturing. At that time, they're writing... They would write on papyrus, which is a reed, or vellum, which was a very thin hide. And so it was very valuable. But the ink that they used had no acid in it, and it would not penetrate into that vellum. So if they wanted to reuse that, that vellum, they would simply wipe off the ink and it would be clean. Our debt is paid, our Slate is wiped clean. We can think of it today as a, a whiteboard. I remember I, it was years ago I was talking to some young people and we were talking about relationships and how to honor God in our relationships. And we were meeting and it was in a high school classroom. And it had the big whiteboard on the front. And so I remember we were talking about that. How can we honor God in our relationships? And we were talking about boundaries. And so I, being the wonderful teacher that I was, had my, my trusty pen, and, and we were writing some things that we needed to be aware of and some things that would be healthy for us. And so we were writing things down. And it was male-female relationships. And so some of the things were fairly safe. Some of the things were a little you know, more descriptive and so I was writing them down and, and we got done with the class and it was wonderful that these high schoolers they went out they were going to live and honor God in their relationships and everyone was happy and, and then I realized as they left that I didn't pick up the dry erase marker I'd picked up a permanent marker and I wrote on that whiteboard and I knew that they were having class the next morning in that room and so as I was trying to take this eraser to erase the marks on the whiteboard, they weren't erasing. And so I thought, oh no, what am I going to do? So one of the other leaders said, well, I think if you put water on it and scrub it, it'll come off. And that sounded like a great idea. I was desperate. Desperate times require desperate measures, so I sprayed it. I may even put some soap on it. I can't remember what all I did. And put it on, and I scrubbed and scrubbed, and it was somewhat disappearing. But then I tried to erase it. And you know what happens after you put moisture on permanent ink on a whiteboard? It reappears when you erase it. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, I do it, and it show back up, not only just slightly where you had to look carefully to try to see the word sex, but that you had, I mean, it would come up full bore, and I'm like, great, tomorrow morning, teacher's going to be up there erasing something, and they're going to cut over into those spots, and like, whoops, <laughs> what's that? Now, I'm happy to tell you that Fairly shortly after that, the school got a new whiteboard and, and I helped with some of the payment for that. <laughs> but when Jesus Christ wipes away our sins, there's not even a residue left. It says as far as the east is from the west, so far He separates our sins from us. 
our sins have been wiped out. But we see also in verse 14 that Jesus took our sin on the cross. It ends, that verse ends, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus took our place of punishment. He took the burden of our sin. He took the consequence of what we deserved. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For He has made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. When a person was crucified, often they would take and they would nail on that cross a list of the crimes that they had committed to shame that person who was on the cross. Jesus took our sins. They were nailed to the cross with Him. J.B. Phillips wrote a translation in the New Testament, and, and I love the way he pictures these pictures of verse 14. He says this in Colossians 2.14. This is what J.B. Phillips says. He says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over His own head on the cross. What a picture. Not only can we identify with Christ... We're forgiven by Christ, but in verse 15, we see that we're victorious in Christ. Verse 15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The term principalities and powers here describes Satan and his demons. Because of our redemption in Christ, Satan has lost his power. He has lost his authority to accuse us of our sin because Jesus has wiped the slate clean. He has paid the price. And so in verse 15, Paul paints another picture. He was describing what's called a Roman triumph. Now you may not be familiar with that, but think of a military parade. But what the Romans would do is they had a victory. They would have a great celebration. They would have a parade. And so in front of the general who was the conquering general, they would honor him and they would place him there. And in front of him, they would would bring any of the enemies that had been captured Or maybe if the the enemy commander or general was captured, they'd bring him in chains in front of him and they'd go down the streets and the people would cheer. And then they'd also not only bring those soldiers that had been captured, but any of the things that they had taken from the enemy that they had taken and, and, and brought those special things that they had brought back in their victory. And they would bring them before them. And then maybe even some of the, the victorious army would march down the street and the people would cheer and the general would be honored. It was a Roman triumph. Well, Jesus Christ is our conquering hero and we have victory in Him. Satan has been defeated. Christ has triumphed. If you go back to that Holy Week and what we call Easter weekend, on Friday, Satan thought he had won. Christ was defeated. Satan had triumphed. On Friday, the religious leaders who opposed Jesus and spent their time trying to quiet Him and remove him felt that they had won. He had been tried and was being crucified. They felt they had the victory. It was Friday, but as the old preacher said, Sunday 
was coming. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is sharing to a church in a town called Corinth, and he's telling them about the wisdom and plan of God. And so it goes in the first seven verses, and it's talking about God's wisdom, God's plan, God's victory. And then it says something very interesting in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 2. It says this, which none of the rulers, God's plan, God's wisdom, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, they thought they had the victory. But God was the one with the ultimate victory. This morning we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the hope that can have in our lives, that we can have in our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39 says this, reminding us of our great victory in Christ. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have the victory. Christ has won Sin and death have been defeated. But that hope can only take place when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you made that choice today? Have you made that choice to put your faith, your hope in Christ and Christ alone? In just a moment, we're going to pray. And after that, we're going to sing one more song. So we sing a song of promise and of hope of the resurrection, I want to encourage you. I'll be standing up front while we sing. If you'd like to find out more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love for to have you come up and we'll have someone that'll go with you and can show you how your sins can be forgiven. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're, you've trusted Christ. But as we talked about, you feel like you're living a continual second day and you never see the hope of the third day. Maybe you're just going through some tough times, whether it's something, a medical thing or a relationship or just need to be encouraged. We'd love to have someone pray with you and encourage you in whatever's going on. Maybe you're watching online. We'd love to have you reach out to us through Hannaford.org. We have a place there at our website where you can send in prayer requests and we have a group of people that will pray for you. Or maybe you just find, need to find out more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about works that we've done, but it's God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ that we must accept. That is what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we can be complete in Him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, may we recognize the amazing hope of Your resurrection, of You sending Your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to rise again. Victory over sin, victory over death. And we can have that same victory if we put our faith and trust in you 
and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today to focus on the celebration while we enjoy friends and family and food and egg hunts and all those nice things. Help us to recognize that the real celebration is the celebration of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.